Well, it's a joy to see you here tonight. You survived Monday, it looks like, and uh, you made it here. And I know in this area, uh, it is a sacrifice to get out in a meeting on time, and I'm going to commend you for that. Life gets so busy that oftentimes we miss the things that could really make a difference in our lives. And as I mentioned in Sunday school yesterday, that it's just good to take some time and let God just give us what he wants uh, day after day, and it can make a great difference. Uh, speaking of how busy we are, I remember a story about a uh, businessman that lived and worked in a one of the river towns of Pennsylvania, and it was uh, back a number of years ago, and that had a, a river right between it. Half the city was on one side, half the city was on the other, and a ferry is how you got across. Every half hour, it would uh, come and uh, it was like clockwork and so they counted on that that's how they got back and forth well he had two very important appointments that morning and so he goes to his first one and it went a little long and the next one was right after it and he had to take the ferry to the other side and i mean he was under pressure he got out he's in his three-piece suit with his uh, briefcase and he's up on the hill and he can see down to the river And he starts running, and to his horror, he saw that the ferry was already a few feet away from the dock. Well, he could not afford to miss this uh, appointment. It was a big sale that he had to make. And even though he was in that three-piece suit, he ran as hard as he could, jumped off the dock, and went skidding across the deck. Stopped right at the feet of the captain, and the captain said, Bud, what are you doing? He got up, brushed himself off. He said, I just had to make this ferry because... I've got to get to this appointment. And the captain said, but we were just coming in. (laughs) And I'm afraid that's how we live sometimes. We don't know whether we're coming or going, but I'm glad you came and uh, that uh, you made the right decision to be here. It's been a joy to meet so many of you, and I just appreciate your spirit, love for the Lord, appreciate your pastor, his love for you. It's just very refreshing to me told uh, one of my associates today that it's just been a a great blessing and help for me personally to be here, and we thank God for you all. Now, we're going to be looking at a a great passage on prayer here tonight, but I want to make this announcement before we get into it. We've been looking at the importance of allowing Christ to be completely in control, in fact, living his life. That's what abiding in Christ is all about. The message tomorrow night is more of a practical message that I believe could change your life. We're going to talk about how to pray for an hour. You know, we all know we want to take long times in prayer, don't we? But have you ever been just discouraged? You start praying, you don't want to do, you run out of things, you just, it seems dry at times. Well, we're going to look at this, and I've got some, just a few things I'll put in your hands tomorrow night, and we're going to look to the Lord to give you some help that I think can transform your prayer life. Now, folks, last night, if you were here, we talked about abiding in Christ and having that oneness of relationship. That occurs because of prayer, as we're going to see tonight. So tomorrow, if at all possible, I encourage you to be here for the evening service, and I believe it will be the takeaway from this meeting that you'll remember six months from now that it will take all that God has done in your heart and keep it right on going. So I just wanted to make sure that uh, I gave that to you. Well, we live in a day that we all are very concerned, increasingly day after day. All the way back in 2011, more than 7 in 10 Americans believed the country was clearly on the wrong track. That's a very high percentage. Many of you know the name Charles Krauthammer, and he said a few years ago, it's midnight in America. Peggy Noonan, a conservative Wall Street Journal columnist, says there is across America quote, a sense that the wheels are coming off the trolley and the trolley off the tracks, that in some deep and fundamental way things have broken down and can't be fixed or won't be fixed anytime soon. Thomas Sowell, a conservative professor and economist, observed, and this is a very striking statement, 
Quote, the collapse of a civilization is not just the replacement of rulers or institutions with new rulers and new institutions. It is the destruction of a whole way of life and the painful and sometimes pathetic attempts to begin rebuilding among the ruins. Is that where America's headed? I believe it is. Our only saving grace is that we're not there yet. Now, that's rather gloomy. And even more striking statements have been coming out in the last year. But I'll tell you what's more concerning than that is how Bible-believing Christians have been affected by what's been going on in our country. We are as distraught and more so than the unsaved world. Now, I can understand that because we know more and we understand what should be done. And so, therefore, our sensibilities, our consciences, our understanding of truth are, are deeply uh, bothered by what we see. But instead of us doing something about it, it has increased the unbelief among believers. And this is what I want to deal with here tonight. There is so much negativism that is spoken among believers about our day, and understandably. I mean, we could spend the next hour and we'd all leave here just limping out, you know, how bad things are if we wanted to. Uh, But the problem is we have been overwhelmed by the difficulties and we've allowed ourselves not to believe that God is able Remember, Jesus said, I will be with you until the end of the age. He is as much with us today, my friends, as he was with the apostles in the New Testament church. We have as much potential today as any era in the, in the history of the Christian church. My friends, I believe God allowed you to be born in this time for this hour. These are the most exciting days that we could ever be alive. There are more people on this planet. God is more concerned about this world than he has ever been. He loves where we are and all around the world. And my friends, we need to rise up in our spirit and let the negativism go away and get back into a biblical worldview of what God can do in our lives. But one of the reasons that I believe that we have such appalling unbelief today is we don't pray. We don't pray. We're just too busy to pray. Oh, we pray five minutes, ten minutes. You've seen all the statistics. The average prayer among believers is pretty minimal. How much time did you actually pray today? Quietly, away from everything else, just you and God spending time alone. What was the average prayer of the uh, per day of the last month? Now, I'm not trying to be negative here, folks, because I understand. But we're in a very busy, modern mindset. And with all of the things that we're seeing, it's very easy for us just to put blinders on and survive. Wanting to see God work, yes, but we just do not take the time to pray. If you would turn to chapter 4 of Colossians and stand with me, we're going to look at two verses here. And ask God to help us here tonight. Colossians chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you and them that are at Laodicea, and them in Heropolis. Here is an example of what God wants all of us to be. Let's bow for prayer. Lord, 
Only you can open our hearts and strengthen our faith. You said that one of the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit is faith. Now, Lord, I pray that you would be gracious to us tonight. Be with me. Be with all of us. And would we understand that everything we're burdened about could be dealt with and we could see victory if we would pray. I ask for the sake of hundreds of people that ought to be reached by these people, the cause of Christ in this area and around the world, that you will do what man cannot do right now. Spirit of God, would you convict and convince us that if we don't pray, it's not worth living. Oh, God, help us. Help us, I pray. In your wonderful name, amen. You may be seated. We have here a little insight into one of the great heroes of the New Testament. Many Christians don't even know the name of Epaphras. But here we have this uh, man given just in a two-verse explanation, the heart of a man that God mightily used. And I believe it is an example that God has given for us to follow. C.H. Spurgeon said, said to his people, Let me have your prayers, and I can do anything. Let me be without my people's prayers, and I can do nothing. Epaphras was one of those that was probably reached with the testimony of the Apostle Paul when he was three years in Ephesus. He, we had that tremendous statement that all in Asia Minor had heard the word of the Lord. Isn't that an amazing thing? Now, it was not just Paul that did that. It was all the people that he trained and all the work that he did. But if that region could be reached in three years, what do you think could be done? if we would have the same kind of heart. But I believe Epaphras was reached during that time and that this man was the one that went to the Lysus Valley and started the First Baptist Church of Colossae. And uh, he was there and uh, God did a great work uh, through him. And then something caused him to take over a thousand-mile journey to Rome to see the Apostle Paul. Now, folks, a thousand miles is a lot for us, but we can get in an airplane. But can you imagine walking that and potentially going by ship and all the things that would have to be done for Epaphras to get there? There was, in that region, a heresy that was coming up that was... uh, had multiple issues, and I won't get into that. Colossians deals with it. We have the magnificent truth of the preeminence of Christ uh, because of that. The Lord, by the way, allowed Satan to attack the New Testament church so we could have the Scripture that lets us see all the wiles of the devil. I mean, we have, at the time Revelation is done, just about anything you could ever face, it happened to the New Testament church. Satan blew it on that one. Excuse the expression. But uh, he... Uh, he did not have, uh, he does not have wisdom. But anyway, he comes to the Apostle Paul and is burdened to get a message from this man of God back to his church because he was so burdened that his church would be genuine, authentic, accurate in their understanding of truth and in their lifestyle. That should be the burden of every pastor. I tell you, thank God for a pastor here that has that passion. Where he really wants you to live authentic New Testament Christianity. And he's willing to deal with all of the errors that are out there and willing to call it what what it is. That's what a true shepherd is. And praise the Lord for that. But what I want to look at here tonight is this prayer life that caused Epaphras to take that journey. And for these churches that were connected to him to have the blessing that they had. And I want to look tonight at some of the keys to prayer that changes things. Prayer that moves the world. Prayer that changes your family. Prayer that moves a church like this. 
I can tell you what, if we could get 20 people in this church to pray like Epaphras, you couldn't hold this church back. I trust you'll look at this testimony very clearly. First of all, I want to talk about how do you enter into intercessory prayer? And the answer is going to be, we've got to be broken about the lack of it. You cannot have victory until you know what you need in the area of victory. And so we look at verse 12 again. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ. I think we've got to just be honest and broken about our unbelief. We have a lot of reasons why we think we can't pray like this. Wow, we admire the Apostle Paul. We are stirred by this kind of testimony. These are preachers. This is great. Paul was an apostle. You look at the Apostle John and the tremendous prayer life and all of his admonitions that he gives. And and uh, we are thankful for that. We love to read biographies. George Mueller and others, the tremendous prayer lives. Uh, James Fraser is one that I would urge you to read his biography uh, it'll stir your heart about the power of God in reaching the entire Lisu people uh, because of prayer. But what about me? You know, I'm just a layman. I'm just a common person. Well, look at what the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, says. Epaphras, say it with me. Who is one of you? (laughs) Epaphras is just like all of you. He's one of you. He is part of that valley. He is part of of the very fiber of, of who you are. i got good news for you. God will use anyone that wants to be used. God doesn't have uh, favorites. You choose to be a favorite. I personally believe Peter, James, and John chose to be in the inner circle. They love the Lord. And my friends, we need to get broken about the fact that all that Christ has done for us in our union with Him that we talked about last night, in our position with Christ in the heavenlies, and all that we have as far as the riches of His grace and the inheritance of our spiritual reality in these days and in the future, we need to be broken about the fact that we dismiss that as something not that real for us. You see, prayer is not just for special people. It's for you. Now, I want you to think about this. You can choose to be a great Christian. It's your choice. It's not a call. We're going to talk about the call of God in a couple of days, but it's not a call. It is a reality that has already been made possible for all of us. He was just one of them. You're one of this church, right? You're here. And you can be just like Epaphras. Now, I want you to get a hold of this. It isn't because of your circumstances. It's not because of your bad background. It's not because of your family situation. It's not because of maybe what you feel are lacks of talents or ability or intellect. My friend, the reason that we're not powerful men and women of God and our prayer warriors is we've chosen not to be. Now, I'm going to encourage you about this in a minute. Because there's a reason why we don't think that we can. So i got some real hope for you. But we've got to be willing to be broken about that. Then that means then that we don't value our relationship with the Lord. I quoted last night from John chapter 14, there in that upper room discourse, verse 12. It's an amazing verse. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, he shall do also. And greater works than these shall he do. Because I go unto my Father. What is the condition for greater works than Christ did? It's believing. What is the greatest evidence of belief? Prayer. You see, folks, it's a choice. If we would depend upon God by taking that time with the Lord, 
and truly believe him, we could be part, just us folks, of doing greater works. Every person in this room tonight has the potential of greater works because Jesus, as it says, is at the right hand of the Father. And then right after that it says, And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye ask anything in my name, I will do that. My friends, that's your promise and that's mine. And so we don't choose to take advantage of that. And I think it's because we just don't live in the spiritual realm. Oh, man, we love to come to church. We love Christian fellowship. We're stirred. It really helps us. And it really does, by the way. You're very wise to be here on a Monday night for a meeting. All of that helps. But, my friends, spiritual reality is reality. To us, it's sort of like a compartment over here of our life. But we've got our job, and we've got our family, and we've got the things that we enjoy, our little crutches of life. And so we compartmentalize it all, and we don't see that real living, genuine life, genuine reality is spiritual. We, are to, we have the privilege of living, as Ephesians 1 says, in the heavenlies. Oh, I love Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength. The very present help in trouble. Later on in that verse, uh, that chapter or that psalm, we know this. Be still and know that I am God. Friends, we've got to practice the presence of God. I mentioned that yesterday. Be still and know that I'm God. Paphros was just one of them. But he chose to know his God. He chose to be part of moving forward the kingdom of God after he got saved. He chose to be a multiplying Christian. He chose to see the greater works. And he was able to do that because he made prayer the central part of his life. Be still and know that I am God. Just about every tech industry in the world is centered within an hour radius of this church here. And I know many of you are probably involved in that, and you could probably give me better statistics than I can give you, but it's just amazing to me. Just one, the simple thing of email, in one minute while I am preaching here, 200 messages will go, 200 million messages will be exchanged in email. And you can just look at all the things. Facebook users will share over 700,000 pieces of content. Twitter users will send over 100,000 tweets in just one minute, and on and on we could go. Tim Chester's come out with a good book dealing especially with smartphone usage from a Christian perspective. I commend the book. I can't remember the name of it. But he says, the problem is not just quantity of time, but the constant interruption. The distractions of our modern tech society have caused us not to be able to concentrate, focus, and quiet our soul. Folks, we need to spend a major time with God every day, and we set it all aside. And God is the one that we're communicating with. Be still and know that I am God. Now, here's just a serious application, folks. We're never going to enter into intercessory prayer until we're broken that we haven't done it. And I'm under conviction when I say this. Think of the ruined lives and millions of people who are in hell now because of the lack of prayer of just the last few decades of the church of the living God. Think of what God could have done the last ten years through this group of people if we had prayed as we ought. I have to tell you, I've had some very agonizing moments. 
as I've realized what could have been done. I'm so glad for God's grace, for his forgiveness. But it doesn't take away from the fact that a lot more could have been changed in the past if I would have prayed as I should. Now, folks, it's serious. Heaven and earth are moved by prayer. It's God's plan. It's not just, ah, missed it. It's not just, well, that's a spiritual discipline. i got to learn a little bit more about. Folks, it's a big deal. It's the honor of Jesus Christ. It's his, the glory of his name. It is the eternal souls of people that we know. It is the whole cause of the movement of the church of the living God. There are enough believers in America, if they would get on their faces and call upon God, and we would be obedient to the word of God, every corner of this nation could be reached with the gospel. It's what the Bible says. I'm going to give you a couple of quotes. I don't normally read quotes this long, but from two men that most of us would know and respect when it comes to prayer. E.M. Bounds. Men of the world imagine prayer to be too impotent a thing to come in rivalry with business methods and worldly practices. Against such a misleading doctrine, Paul sets the whole commands of God, the loyalty to Jesus Christ, the claims of pious character, and the demands of the salvation of the world. Men must pray and put strength and heart into their praying. This is part of the primary business of life, and to it God has called men first of all. Now, folks, we have to understand that if we don't pray, we don't really believe it's that big a deal. Oh, we can theologically stand for it, and we know God's answered our prayers. Everybody here has a good testimony of what God has done. But the lack of meeting with God and allowing the Spirit of God to get into the throne room to see God's will accomplished, the lack of that proves that it isn't that important to us. Jesus isn't that important. Souls aren't that important. It really doesn't matter. You say, but Pastor Van Gilderen, it does matter. Well, in God's economy, God would question how much it really matters to us. Andrew Murray, in a very, very insightful book, Key to the Missionary Problem, as they were heading into the 1900s, he was deeply burdened that there was this great cause of worldwide missions, but they weren't willing to pray. And he said, lack of prayer is another symptom of the sickly state, speaking of missions. A worldly spirit in the Christian hinders his praying much. He looks at things in the light of the world. He is not at home in the heavenly places. He does not realize the dark power of sin in those around him or the urgent need of a direct divine interposition. He has little faith in the efficacy of prayer, in the need of much and unceasing prayer, in the power there is in him to pray in Christ's name and prevail. True beneficence, the giving from devotion to Christ and for him, and true prayer, the asking and counting upon him to bless the gift and bestow his spirit and his work, are the proof that the worldly spirit is being overcome and that the soul is being restored to spiritual health. If the church is to be what she ought to be and to do what her Lord asks her to do for the evangelism of the world, this sickness and failure must be acknowledged and deliverance sought. I've talked to so many pastors and I've said, you know, until we as preachers are willing to get on our faces before God and repent of our lack of leading our churches to genuine prayer, we're not going to see a revival. I don't care how much we call upon God here and there to do it. And so we need to be broken about this lack. And then quickly I want us to see we also, if we're going to enter in, we've got to be broken about our self-will. I've already spoken on that. It's a very interesting description here of Epaphras, a servant of Christ, a bond slave. You know that term. This is the only time that this term is used of anyone outside of the Apostle Paul and Timothy. (laughs) 
So that was quite an honor for Epaphras to bear the same term. In other words, he had the heart of the Apostle Paul. Paul was a man of intense intercessory prayer. And here was a kindred spirit of a man, because he was there for some time with Paul, ministering to him while he was there. And the Apostle saw that this man had the same heart, the same spirit that he had. And so, really, the lack of prayer... We don't have the heart of Christ, and we somehow think we can get along okay without prayer. Which is, as we mentioned yesterday, self-dependency to the core. If you don't get into the throne room and really spend some significant time with God, and you go your way through a day and just march through it, that's self-dependence and ind- that's self-dependence and independence from God. I remember some time back when God convinced me of this in a deep way. And I'll tell you, folks, I had to be broken to the core before I would fully change my whole priority system. But we're so... We, we just aren't willing to admit we have the need. An army major was just promoted to being a colonel, and he was sitting in his office when... Someone knocked at his door and said, this is Private Johnson, may I see you? He said, just a minute. The colonel wanted to look impressive, so he picked up his telephone and said real loud, yes, Mr. President, I understand, Mr. President, we will take care of it right away, Mr. President. He wasn't talking to the president, but wanted to make it seem like he was talking to the president. He wanted to appear bigger than he really was. The colonel said, Mr. President, just give me the, uh, just give me a, a moment. Then he said, come in, private. Private came, and the colonel asked him to talk quickly because he had the president on the other line. What can I do for you? Well, the private said, I just was coming in to connect your phone. (laughs) We like to act like we're connected when we're not. Ever heard of Ananias and Sapphira? It's a stirring, stirring story because that church was so on fire for God that someone who tried to act spiritual and wasn't was a great hindrance to the cause, and that's how God dealt with it. It's a good thing he doesn't deal with us that way now. We all would have been had (laughs) the grace of God. But the point I want to make, folks, is that Let's stop thinking, and I'm just being honest with you tonight, I'm just laying it out. Let's stop acting like we're great Christians if we're not taking time to pray. It's all about abiding in Christ. You see, prayer is continuing to abide. A lengthy time alone with God will cause you to be praying throughout the day. Your life will be in the heavenlies. You will be thinking of depending upon Him. Christ will be manifest to you. Your life will be different. That is genuine spirituality, and it can't happen without prayer. And so he was a bond slave. One book that changed my life, my dear godly grandmother, gave me the book, Absolute Surrender by Andrew Murray. How many of you have read that book? All right, you got to read that book, okay? That's a great uh, foundational book. Andrew Murray tells where he got that name. In Scotland, I was in a company where we were talking about the condition of Christ's church and what the greatest need of the church and the believers was. And there was in our company one who had much to do in the training of Christian workers, had seen great blessing. And I asked him, what would he say was the great need of the church? And he answered simply, Absolutely, absolute surrender to God is the one thing. Absolute surrender is absolute dependence. Prayer will be the manifestation of that. So let me just say honestly, folks, I would say almost everybody here tonight would like to have an increased prayer life. But we've got to be so convinced that it's the essence of life that we allow the Holy Spirit to bring repentance to our soul. And we become broken about the lack of real spirituality.
Folks, it's very important. Don't be afraid to be broken. Christians who experience God's blessing are broken people. Honest, humble, transparent. Folks, we just need God all the time. We're all on equal footing at the cross. Aren't you saved? You, aren't you glad you were saved that way? Didn't have to bring anything but yourself. And it's the same way every day. I need Christ as much as anybody else here needs Him. Without Him, I can do nothing as we saw. We've got to be humble. So entrance into intercessory prayer, like Epaphras, will be brokenness. But then we see the exertion in intercessory prayer. Now I want to encourage you here. I want to move a little more quickly. You say, wow, man, i got to do it. i got to, oh, I'm going to have to just, mm. that's our normal reaction. Well, this kind of exertion, look with me back at verse 12. Always laboring fervently for you in prayers. These words here show just an an agony. In fact, that's, we transliterate the verb there. It has the idea of, of agonizing, totally giving of oneself fervently in prayer. So, wow, I mean, how do I work that up? I've got good news for you, you don't. In fact, that'll be human effort if you don't watch out. It's, if you're broken, you're going to realize you need God. If you look back up in the same chapter to verse 4, I mean verse 2, it says continue, or it has the idea of devote yourselves to prayer. And we need to understand that this, this agonizing is a work of God in us. Now, God wants us to do it. Let me just give you a few verses quickly that have that very same uh, verb in it. 1 Corinthians 9.25, And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate. There's the same word. Romans 15.30, Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that ye strive, agonize together with me in your prayers to God for me. This is the one that touches me the most, Luke 22.44, And being in an agony, Jesus prayed more earnestly. You were prayed for 2,000 years ago with agony that I cannot even begin to describe because your soul was that important to God. Spurgeon said, No of no better thermometer to your spiritual temperature than this, the measure of your intensity, the intensity of your prayer. But here's the good news. What did we learn last night? We are in the vine, and the vine is in us. We're the branch, right? What life are we to live if we'll simply depend upon him? Our life? No, we're to live Christ's life. Christ knows how to pray with full earnestness. The Spirit of God will manifest Christ to us. Let me just make this statement, folks. So often we think of serving God, praying and all these things, as a huge labor of human effort. Now, we have to be humanly making the decisions and giving ourselves to serve the Lord as bond slaves. But when energized by the presence of Christ being allowed to have full control of our life, we have all that we need to do it i got a secret for you. There's no burnout in an abiding life. If you feel burned out in the work of the Lord, it's because you're doing it in your own energy. I want to promise, I want to promise you this. If you are spirit-led in your prayer and you start learning to pray an extended time like an hour a day, you will find burnout going out of your life. Seven days a week, your life will flow together. You will have the refreshment of the Spirit of God. Your whole being will be different. Anxiety will begin to go away. You will understand what life is about. I'm telling you, this matter of burnout is only because of self-dependence. This body of believers that works so hard could do a lot more if you pray. It's an amazing thing. 
Man, I see believers that just, I don't know how they do everything they do, but they're walking with God. They're living with joy. They're doing exactly what they want to do. It's not a sacrifice. It's a blessing. You know this verse, Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The Lord Jesus said, This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Folks, when we surrender completely and agree with God what our life is about, the Spirit of God begins to manifest the reality of Christ's crucified life in us, and all of a sudden, I get His burden. Folks, I'll never be able to work up a burden for the world, and neither can you. Man, we could get real emotional tonight, and it might last for 15 minutes. The only way that you're going to be broken to pray like this, the only way you're going to be able to enter into intercessory prayer is for Christ to give you His heart. I'm telling you, there have been moments it wasn't me, but I've gotten so broken for the souls of people. And I will get out of that and I'll realize, Lord, you love people more than I can even imagine. Because that wasn't me praying that. It'll change your life when you start hearing Christ pray through you. I'm telling you, great movements of God have all occurred when the tears of Christ have been shed through the eyes of a believer that is crucified with Christ. It's not you just going through an hour, working, working, working at prayer. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about you being yielded and the Spirit of God begins to overcome your self-centeredness and you begin to see yourself and you begin to be empowered and all of a sudden it's His heart. All of a sudden you start seeing things. It takes a lot of time for God to do all this work in us, but we're transformed by it. So that's the good news. And so what happens is, and let's look here, what was he, he was... uh, laboring fervently for you in prayers. And we're going to see what he specifically was praying for. But he understood there were two big problems that every believer he was praying for had. Number one, they needed to understand the Christ life for victory in their lives, and also Satan was endeavoring to sift them. Just like Christ prayed for Peter, we, when we're praying, empowered by the Spirit, will have the same kind of burden. I want to tell you, parent, Satan hates what you're trying to do in rearing your kids right. You get on your face before God and learn how to pray for your children, and you pray against the evil one, and you pray that God will illumine their hearts about truth. God will work, I promise you that. And God will also change your life, and you'll begin to realize, oh, I'm angry. I put my kids down. I'm not consistent in my discipline. But God will work. When people ask, well, you know, how, how did you, it be that your children went into full-time service? Well, it's just the grace of God. But I'm telling you, it was prayer. I can tell you, that is the bottom line of what God uh, is wanting to do. And it's a continuous duty. It's just an amazing thing. Always, always, always. Ephesians 6.18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, you know it, pray without ceasing. But folks, this labor, verse 13, I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for them that are in Laodicea and them that are in Hierapolis, those were sister cities uh, to Colossae. As he was praying, he said, I, I, I have witnessed this great zeal, which is part of what God will do through the power of the Spirit. Now, this I want this to encourage you. Ephesians 6, 18, I've already just quoted. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. 
Jude one twenty or just Jude 20. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Folks, the first thing I do every morning, I did it this morning, I cried out to the Spirit of God, would you enable me? I can't pray today without you. It's not my work. I don't convince God of anything. But I'm telling you, when the Spirit of God makes intercession and the Savior makes intercession to the Father, I got it. Man, I am telling you, I'm in the center of the universe. I've got authority. I've got power. But I can't do it. But it's in the Spirit. I did have the privilege of growing up around real prayer warriors. We were just talking about John Rice. Thank God for his speaking, but it wasn't his speaking that changed my life. He'd walk up to the pulpit and just those eyes, I was had already the presence of the Lord because of his prayer life. My dear grandmother, my dear parents, there was a man named Silas Fox who was a disciple of praying Hyde. He was in our home a number of times. I was in the throne room of God when that man prayed. I can't explain it to you. Dr. Wilbur Chapman told a friend, he said, I've learned some great lessons about prayer, but one of the key time in his life when he was having a meeting in, in England and the audiences were small, but he received a note that an American missionary was going to pray God's blessing down on the work. He was known as Praying Hyde. Almost instantly, the tide turned. The hall became packed, and at my first invitation, 50 men accepted Christ as their Savior. As we were leaving, I said, Mr. Hyde, I want you to pray for me. came to my room, turned the key in the door, dropped on his knees, and waited five minutes without a single syllable coming from his lips. What was he doing? Acknowledging he could not pray without God. I could hear my own heart thumping and his beating. I felt hot tears running down my face. I knew I was with God. Then with upturned face, down which the tears were streaming, he said, Oh, God. Then for five minutes at least, he was still again. And then when he knew that he was talking with God, there came from the depths of his heart such petitions for me As I had never heard before, I rose from my knees to know what real prayer was. And I'm convinced that we know the name Wilbur Chapman today because Wilbur Chapman met praying Hyde, John Hyde. That's how powerful prayer is. Do you realize a person that's a real prayer warrior, just being around people will change other people because Jesus The face of Jesus is being manifest. Well, the entrance into intercessory prayer, you've got to be broken. You've got to admit. You've got to repent. You've got to be willing to say, you know, I'm really, I don't respect the Lord like I should. I'm too self-dependent. Then we've got to be, we've got to understand that exertion in intercessory prayer is not human. It's union with Christ. It's union with Christ. And then just quickly, finally here, the end result of intercessory prayer is a wonderful advance. Always, always, always. What was he praying? That they would stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. That church in that region had great power, I'm convinced, because God answered the prayer of of Epaphras. The man that took Hudson Taylor's mission, the China Inland Mission, was a man by the name of D.E. Host. And he told of a very important lesson that he learned. He wrote the book Behind uh, the Ranges, and the term came from what he learned. He was in charge of two major missions works. This was before he became director. One in which he lived, and then over the ranges, over the mountains, there was another missions work. He could only visit them periodically. He couldn't understand 
how the one over the ranges was just having a mighty move of God, and his was doing okay, but not too exciting. And then it hit him. Because he couldn't be with the one across the mountains, he agonized in prayer for them. But he depended upon himself for the work that he was involved in. What a lesson to learn. I can't tell you how many times, and I'm sure your preacher would say the same time, same thing. You get so burdened for somebody, and then God begins to cause you to agonize for one of your dear people, and you don't even know what to do, and all of a sudden they come through. <laughs> it's just, hallelujah, you want to shout. That happened. We were in a prayer meeting just a, a, a month or so ago, and uh, we have a number of corporate prayer meetings with our whole church, and we were just praying along, and God was blessing. And all of a sudden, a man that I love, been this burden for, he's been under heavy weight. Man, he prayed a revival prayer. And he said, God met with me that night. And I knew what an answer to prayer. That was shouting ground. Uh, I just, I could sense the, what God was doing. And I've seen that happen over and over. God answers prayer. He prayed for them to be mature, understanding as Paul's prayer and in uh, in preaching ministry in Colossians 1, earlier in this book, he said, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect. There it is in Christ Jesus. And the answer is in the verse before, Christ in you, the hope of glory, that people would wake up to that and that they would live in the will of God. You see, folks, you've got people that you're ministering to. You've got Maybe classes that you teach here. Maybe some discipleship that you're involved in. I don't care how well you teach. I don't care how well you prepare. I don't care all the things that you do. Maybe with your children, your family altar, all of these things. God will use the word, but it is going to be praying that they will be perfect and being in all the will of God. And God will answer that prayer. The only thing standing between Revival in this church and in your home and in your life and not having it is whether or not you'll choose to pray. Spurgeon, again, I've quoted him several times tonight. He had a major revival there in London. But early in his ministry, he wrote this. We have felt in our souls, not that we have that we may have revival, but that we must have it. We must draw near to the angel and wrestle afresh with this determination that we will not let him go unless he should bless us. If there be but a dozen men in this my church who have set their faces for a revival, we shall surely have it. Of this my heart knows no doubt. And after that, a number of the men began to pray. As you probably heard, they prayed under the very platform that Spurgeon preached. And just a few years later, he states, We have had a continual stream of revival. The cries of sinners have sounded in our ears. Every day we've seen souls converted. I was about to say almost every hour of the week these 12 years. And of late, we have had a double portion. Hallelujah. Prayer. Not great oratory, though he was. Are we willing to be broken by the Spirit of God and then trust him to give us that kind of heart so that we can see the advance that God has promised? We can see it if we would. Let's bow for prayer. Again, I want to thank you for your good attention tonight. Friends, I don't know even how to give this invitation. I know everyone here knows we need to pray. But friends, if we're going to see God work and our lives changed, we have got to get broken about our lack of faith and our disobedience about this matter of prayer. There is no excuse. And oh, how God has dealt with me to access the heavenlies for the sake of others, to have the heart of Christ, to see the work of God go forward. There's nothing too hard for God. He's able to move mountains. He's promised to do that. 
He's promised to overcome the evil one. So tonight, I trust you'll just simply say, Lord, I just got to admit, it's been a sin that I've not been praying as I ought. And I realize that I have hindered the kingdom of God, and I am holding back the blessing of God. And I I believe in prayer. I love you. But I've got to get broken. Lord, break me about this. Change my life so that I can start believing you. And I believe you can do it in me. It's not me doing it. It'll be you. And that you will advance your work. Many believers tonight would say, Pastor Van Gelder, that's my heart. Oh, it's my heart cry. I'm, a, I'm going to be honest with God tonight. I have not been praying as I should. And I realize it's a sin against him, against the glory of the Lord Jesus and that I have got to to get broken about this if I'm going to have my life changed to be where I ought to be. And I want to be that channel of God's power, that I am important in the cause of Christ. Not me, but every person's important. And i got to quit excusing that. And I'm going to be honest before God. Oh, preacher, would you pray for me tonight? Would you slip your hand up if that's your heart cry tonight? God bless you. I want God to work. Now, God, you saw the hands of these dear folks. I pray that you will do only the work that you can do. And, Lord, I just cry, cry unto you. Lord, break our hearts. How many souls are in hell today because we didn't pray? Christians have been weak because we didn't pray. Oh, God, you know my heart. I'm so thankful we have a new day and we can walk with you. Lord, be with these dear people. These that raise the hand do a mighty work, I pray, in your wonderful name. If you'll just stand here and we'll have the piano play, and I would encourage you. You need to be definite and very clear about this if God's worked in your heart. Let's be honest. Let's be transparent. We need God. So I encourage you, just let God work tonight. Oh, let's ask God to, to bring us into a place that we're truly willing to let Him lead us into the throne room for the sake of others. Epaphras was just like you and me. He was a member of a local church there at Colossae. He was the pastor of that church. He made his way all the way over there to Rome to be with Paul. Paul inserted three verses to speak to us about Epaphras. Two of those verses were preached on tonight. He is a man that labored fervently. He agonized in his praying. Breakthroughs don't come. We don't agonize in our praying. Brokenness must precede it, but breakthroughs don't come unless we don't pray. Tonight, there's several kinds of people here. This, those who need to pray. Those who need to learn how to pray. Those who need to get back to praying. And many of us who need to stop pretending we're praying and just pray. Amen? And just pray. The Bible says Jacob was left alone and he wrestled with the angel. The angel said, let me go. Dawn is coming. Jacob said, I will not let you go except thou bless me. Our lives will never change. We'll never get out of the rut that we're in. The same mundane status quo mentality unless we come to that place of praying. The Bible says something very interesting about Epaphras. He prayed that they would stand perfect, complete in all the will of God. You know, God wants us to pray. That's my desire is that all of us pray. It's my desire that all of us would be prayer warriors. That's God's will for us. God's will for us is that all of us would be missionaries. The Bible says he had a great zeal for them. Not only there at Laodicea, not of the Colossae, but also at Laodicea and Hierapolis. God's will is that we be sanctified. He said, he prayed that they stand perfect, complete. 
And God's will is that you're in the church, not one foot, both feet, all the way, serving, enlarging your list of people you pray for. I wonder if we need to just take time tonight and not go by function and by form, but just let the Holy Spirit work this evening, praying in the Holy Ghost as He has control. We will lose sight of our time and what we have to go to and realize the most important event is right now. James, when he wrote to the church, the, the dispersed believers, he said, Whence come wars and fightings amongst you? Come they not of your lusts which warn your members? You lust and war and have not, yet you have not because you ask not. Oh, may God help us tonight, not just to have a revival of prayer, but just to stay at prayer. Father, tonight we thank you for the gentle, loving way you've spoken to us about prayer Every one of us would admit and confess it's the deepest need of our life. No matter how much time we pray, there's always more time that needs to be spent in prayer. And no matter how large our list may be, Lord, there's still much more to pray about. Forgive us, dear God, for praying. I think about the fact hypocrites pray and heathen pray. Even people in hell pray, but how much more, God, your people need to pray. This evening, I pray that we're not just convicted, but Lord, we're compelled to pray, to spend time on our faces before God, to change this prayerlessness. And be like Samuel, who said, God forbid that I should sin this season to pray for you. Lord, I pray you'd put on our hearts and minds tonight people that need to be prayed for. People need to be prayed out of bondage. People need to be prayed from going to hell. People need to be prayed for, Lord, that they'd have victory in their lives. And even help us tonight. It might be just some here tonight are so discouraged and been so discouraged by things, the fiery darts that Satan's thrown at them. Tonight we need to get a hold of you this evening in a way like never before. Thank you for what we've heard. Now help us this evening, as Pastor said, to put some exertion behind it, to put some effort behind it. God, to be people that pray and seek the Lord diligently. Father, this evening, we pray that our church will be different. We pray this area be reached. We pray, God, many more, many more people will come to Christ. We pray for many changes you'll give us. We give ourselves to you that we, for prayer and that, Lord, you be glorified. Thank you tonight for every decision, every prayer that's been brought before you. Settle what's been done tonight for your glory in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. How many felt like tonight you needed that? We got on the MRI of God's MRI tonight. and You know, there's none of us that pray like we can and pray like we should. We're constantly working at that. We're constantly growing at that. There are days you have victories where you might feel like you spent some good time in prayer. The other days you feel like there's such an inadequacy. I'm going to encourage us tonight. Let's take hold of those principles we heard. Let's take hold of those principles we realize tonight. That's that's the secret for our, our homes and that's the secret for our church and Really, this church was born out of prayer. For two years, it's a small group of people prayed. Those of you who are founding members, do you remember those days? But I wonder if we still have those that emphasis. We're so busy. We have time for fellowship. We have time for a lot of other things. But somehow we can't make time to pray. And I, and I believe this. I believe this. If we would just pray, everything else will come in the right place. I, if we pray like we should, I won't have to... Get on us about giving, right? And I wouldn't have to get on us about soul winning. Get on us about living for God. I mean, it just all comes into place right there. It really does. It really does. So I've got a heart problem. Well, our heart problem gets solved by prayer. And so our attitude problem, our spirit, all of it gets solved by through prayer there. And none of us can articulate like we should. I, I, I love that example you used about praying high. I've read that many times. And just we get to the place to realize that we don't even have the words to articulate what prayer is all about. And really, all of our defeats, all of our frustrations are due to the fact prayer. And that's what, that's what Dr. Rice said years ago. He said all of our failures are prayer failures. Did he not say that? Did he not say that? Is there prayer failures? Dr. Van Gelder and I were talking, and I mentioned to him, I said, you know, it was interesting during the time when Dr. John R. Rice was alive, Baptists have so many camps. And uh, he had an unusual way of bringing men together in the cause of Christ. And during those 60s and 70s, the Independent Baptist movement was thriving. 
You know, Dr. Rangel, he could tell you some stories. We could tell you some stories about what God was doing there. But I believe all of that was held together when Dr. Rice, because of his praying. He, I, I, I read somewhere that he had somewhere between 200 and 300 pastors he prayed for daily, besides everybody else. And when I say pray, he said, well, Lord, bless Brother Rangel. He didn't pray like that. He, he prayed something like Epaphras did, that they'd stand perfect, complete, in all the will of God. If you understand the ramifications of that, there's a lot to be said for just one person there, your own family. And I'm just understand tonight, the devil is throwing his fiery darts at us stronger and harder and faster than we're praying. Would you join me in prayer? Would you lift up holy hands? Paul said, I will that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath, without doubting. Without faith, it's impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is. And rewarded them to diligently seek him. I still believe that God can bless prayers like he did in Acts chapter 12 verse 5 when they prayed Peter out of prison. God can still do those kind of things. Let's go back to our prayer closets. Let's draw a circle around ourselves. It says, not about anybody, it's just about me. Encourage one another to pray. And earnestly seek God. And not get off our faces until God says it's time to get off our faces. Dr. Van Gelder, thank you for that tonight. We really needed that tonight. I'm looking forward to tomorrow for the follow-up. It's going to help our church a lot. And uh, you be here tomorrow night. Call people that weren't here, that missed it for whatever reason, that they'd be here t- tomorrow night and Wednesday. And we're really praying that God would just give us a breakout that we need to have. We don't have any meetings tonight. I just want to encourage you to take time for fellowship, but be sure you go home tonight. Spend some time in prayer. And meet with God. Families pray together. Seek the face of God. Husbands and wives. Maybe it's been a long time since you've just had really quality time in prayer. Just spend some time in prayer. I mean real prayer. I mean real prayer. And honor God. And, you know, we, we get into all these things, how to pray and things. Just talk to God. Just spend time with him. Just go hide yourself in your prayer closet. Jesus taught us the pattern in Matthew chapter 6. We're not to pray the exact prayer, but it's a pattern for us. Remember, he's the Father which is in heaven. And let's pray for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you for being here tonight. God bless you. You're dismissed.